Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. It's easy, I don't know if you've noticed this, to talk about obedience. In fact, it's easier to talk about obedience than to actually be obedient. So, uh, I don't know if you've ever asked a, a child, usually a little kid, like four or five, uh, ask them, are you obedient? And they'll say, yeah, I'm obedient. I'm obedient to my parents. Yeah, of course I am. Uh, but then if you say to them, go and tidy your room, then you will get a different impression of their levels of obedience. They may say, no. I don't want to do that. They may say, I'll do it later, which is no, basically. (laughs) Or they might say, yes, disappear and then not do it anyway. All of those things have happened in our house and still happen. Uh, And you realise that obedience isn't just what you say you are or even a statement of belief or anything like that. It's an activity, right? It's what you do. Are you obedient or not in your activity? Uh, And obedience actually is quite a difficult thing to talk about, to think about, in the modern world because we have made the individual, the the kind of the one-off individual, the most important part of our culture, of our society. So the individual has become more important than the group, than the community. We almost worship the right of the individual over the rights of a group of people. So when we talk about obedience, actually we're we're talking maybe about a loss of our own power, a loss of kind of our individual status, our autonomy. Actually, we're saying, no, actually, I, I take orders from somewhere else. I'm obedient to someone or something else. Because obedience is receiving instruction and then doing what you're told, isn't it? Maybe that's someone, or or maybe it's a, a something that tells you. So obedience becomes about us dying a little bit. Maybe saying, okay, someone else has given me an instruction and I will do it for them because I am obedient. Or or something else, maybe God has told me to do this and I am obedient. Or even the community has decided we will do this so I will do it because I am obedient and because they are more important than me. That's what obedience is about. And obedience can be learnt, and that's what we're going to talk about today. It's not glamorous, it's not exciting, but actually this is vital, it's really important. Because obedience to Jesus is actually a total game changer for us. If we're obedient to Jesus, then we see lives changed, we see the sick healed, we see churches planted. Actually, we see relationships restored when we are obedient to Jesus. When we say, actually, Jesus is more important than me, I will do what he tells me. When we are obedient to Jesus, we move his kingdom forwards. And when we talk about Jesus' kingdom, we're talking about his way of doing things. And when we operate in his way of doing things, actually Jesus ends sadness, he ends suffering, he ends sickness, he ends poverty, he ends death. So that's the result of us obediently following Jesus. So we're going to look at Hebrews 5 today, just uh, two or three verses which will appear up on the screen behind me. But if you've got Bibles, go to Hebrews 5, uh, verse 7 to 9, and we will work our way through. Uh, It's good to have it in front of you just so you can keep following it. And it says, 
In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence, although he was a son. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So, if you notice there, it says, Jesus learned obedience. Which is a, just pause on that, it's a huge statement to make. Jesus learned obedience. And so we're going to think about this today, the obedience of Jesus. This obedience of Jesus himself that utterly changes our lives, changes the city we live in, changes actually our families, our friendship groups. I think the the, the obedience of Jesus himself changes us as a church. It's a spectacular thing. So first of all, let's just think, who is this Jesus character first? Let's just be clear who we are talking about. And a, a few verses earlier in Hebrews 4, it, it talks, describes Jesus. says, since then we have a great high priest. That's how they describe Jesus. So, is he like just any other high priest or a religious leader or something like that? Actually, no, it says Jesus was the Son of God. So a priest means that he represents us. So most priests were chosen from the group of people to then go and represent that group of people to God. They would go to the temple, represent the people to God. And God would also make that priest represent him back to the people. So it was like a a conduit between gods and people. And it was just a person, just a human that was selected. So is Jesus just like that then? Well, actually no, because he's also the son of God. So he himself is divine. He is God. So our priest is not just like us. Actually, he's something quite different. But not only that, we actually find out a little bit of what he was like as a person. So it says, do we have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weakness, but actually one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin? So this is a very long way round of saying Jesus is our great high priest, but also he is the son of God himself, and also he understands all of our weakness, all of our frailty, all of our temptation to sin, even those little temptations and frailties you've never told anyone about. Jesus gets them, he understands them. And what that means is, actually, he himself was tempted to turn his back on God, to live for himself. When we talk about sin, it's a quite a christian sort of word, but really it means turn your back on God, live for yourself, live for the kingdom of the world, not for God's kingdom. And Jesus was tempted to do all of those things, but he did not give in to that temptation. So what that means is he becomes a, a fantastic example of what obedience is and how it works. So we've learned from this that we don't worship a God who just demands obedience but doesn't understand us. Doesn't understand what it's like to live in Manchester in 2020. Doesn't understand what it's like to have your family. Doesn't understand what it's like to have your friends, whatever it is. Actually, he understands all of those things. He walked the earth for 30 years. He lived as a man. He had a job. He was part of a family. Part of a family that didn't understand what on earth he was doing for a while. He had friends, friends that let him down, as well as friends that were good for him. 
He knew the chaos and difficulty of life. So the call to follow him and to be obedient to him is given with him as the example of how to do it. Okay, so we'll think about that now. How was Jesus obedient? And Hebrews 5, 7 to 9 kind of explains that. The first thing it says is that he was obedient in his prayer. It says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers, supplications, with loud cries and tears. So actually, we know quite a bit about how Jesus prayed. We know that he prayed often, that he would often go off to a quiet place before everybody else had woken up so he could get some time alone with his father and he would pray. He would also pray when things were really very, very difficult. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is kind of what this, the writer of Hebrews is talking about here, Jesus prayed in great anguish. So sometimes when we think about Jesus, the Son of God, we think, oh, maybe on earth, he just, because he was perfect and kind of knew everything, he must have just floated through life without any real worries, like some great hippie from space, with no problems at all, just feeling happy about everything. Actually, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed in deep anguish, high stress, we would say that situation was for him, deep anxiety. He also prayed for people, so we uh, read about him praying for the sick, we read about him praying for people who were dead, who became alive again, uh, and we also see that he prayed for resources. He prayed, Lord, uh, we need to feed these thousands of people, we've only got loaves and breads, if you could help us out with that, that would be brilliant, uh, and God did. He also prayed to turn water into wine, which is kind of praying for resources, I suppose, at a party. He prayed with great emotion as well. Prayed with loud cries and tears. So God is not disconnected from us. Actually, he doesn't think, look, when you come and pray, just do it quietly, do it calmly. Uh, uh, Just everything is zen. Don't worry about anything too much. Actually, he knows that sometimes we need to come and shout and cry and explain what's going on. So obedience doesn't have to be cold and calm. Actually, uh, this week, we, uh, me and Vic, we got a few messages from different family members, different parts of the family, all who've got illnesses that could be quite significant illness, and they asked us to pray. And when they ask us to pray, they don't expect us to go, oh, make it better, amen. Uh, they expect us to kind of get into that prayer, and we would. You're connected, aren't you? If it's family, you are invested. So the prayers aren't just going to be calm. Actually, God, I want this thing to happen. I know it says your will be done, but I want that thing. I don't want the other thing. I want this thing. So there are some tears in there as we pray. So Jesus is obedient in prayer. He's also obedient in his focus. So let's explain what I mean by that. So it says, in days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers, supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Jesus was obedient in his focus. It's important for us to remember who we are praying to. Jesus prayed to his father, and we'll talk a bit more about that in a moment, but his father defeats death. So the author of Hebrews here is talking about the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus uh, went to pray right before he was about to be arrested. He knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to be arrested and then killed. 
He also knew that the Romans tended to kill people by putting them on a crucifix and hanging them on that until they died. And he knew that that was an agonising death. It was, a very, it was quite a common death uh, where the Romans went and conquered. He knew it was agonising. He knew it was a public humiliation that could last for days. And so he went to pray because he was... You would be. You would be wondering how that's going to work out for yourself. Uh, it's funny to describe Jesus as being a bit scared, but I think probably he would have been. He took his friends with him, his disciples. He goes into the garden. He says, all right, you lot wait here and pray. I'm going to go over there and pray. Uh, and Jesus prayed, but his friends, they fell asleep. So Jesus was focused, even though his friends weren't. And he knew that in his praying, actually, he was praying to someone who could raise the dead. Who actually can alter the course of history. And actually alter the course of physics. Dead people don't come back to life. It's just one of the rules of living in this universe. And yet, God can make that happen. Jesus was focused. It's important, as we learn obedience, as we think about whether or not we are obedient, we have to start with, well actually, who are we obedient to? Well, we are obedient to someone with power to beat death. That's important we remember that. So we're not obedient to an, an abstract God who's uninvolved, who we read about a bit, but really he's, he's, he's not going to get put his oar in round here. It's not going to make much difference. Actually, we are obedient to a God's who defeats death. And we live surrounded by death. Welcome to Christchurch Manchester. This is what we do here. You are surrounded by death. Uh, all of us, at some level, will know someone who's died. Perhaps someone very close to us. We don't. We are surrounded by death. We may have lost friends or family to these things. Actually, you just have to watch the news. Even on a, a light news day, where they say there's not much happening in the world, there is still death everywhere. We are surrounded by it. Now we remember that this God that Jesus was obedient to, this Father, actually defeats that death. And as Jesus, I think, is sat in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, I think that's what he's thinking. I'm praying to a God who defeats death. I know what my Father can do. I know what's about to happen to me. But I know that actually that won't beat the Lord God. And actually, I think about, I think he had this in his mind throughout his ministry. He, he was teaching the disciples throughout the Gospels, actually, look, the Son of God has got to suffer and die, but then be resurrected. Jesus was focused. Actually, this is about eternity. So he doesn't really get caught up in the local politics of the time, although he was highly political and very controversial. He doesn't get super concerned about the, the difficulties of the world because his perspective was eternal. I remember uh, talking to a friend of mine years ago who uh, used to run a night shelter in Bedford uh, that Vicky and I used to volunteer at. And this guy was telling me how he became a volunteer at this night shelter. And uh, there was a, a fair number of homeless people in Bedford at the time. And so this night shelter, I think, would open at 7 in the evening. People would turn up, get a bed for the night, leave at 9 o'clock the next morning. Uh, and this guy, he, was, um, he said, look, Tim, I was just a 19-year-old, kind of fresh out of school. I didn't really know much about anything. And I was volunteering in this night shelter 
And some of these people were quite colourful, let's put it that way. Uh, some of them were lovely, some of them were terrifying. And he was explaining to me, Tim, I was actually really, really scared that I might die. <laughs> I was like, well, it's a bit dramatic. But then you start talking about some of the people that were coming in there, and actually it gripped him. I was really genuinely quite fearful. So he says, Tim, what I did is I went and talked to a good friend of mine and I explained this to him. I said, look, I, I'm really scared of being there. I just, uh, you know, I, I know it's what I do every night. I go and serve in this night shelter, but actually I'm terrified and all day it consumes me and I'm scared. Uh, and so this guy goes, what's the worst thing that could happen? And my mate's like, uh, well, they could punch me. It's like, that's not the worst thing, is it? Well, what do you mean? What is the worst thing that could happen? And he said, well, I might die. He said, well, then you get to be with Jesus, so what's your problem? And, he, and he, for, to start with, he was like, that was just so flippant. But actually, he really kind of drilled into it and thought, actually, you know what? What is the worst thing that can happen is that I get to be with a God who defeats death, who's going to recreate everything, who's going to bring a new heaven and new earth, and I will get to be on that. And so he just applied this to his thinking and actually said, I stopped being scared of what we were doing there. I stopped being scared of the people in there because I worship a God who defeats death. So Jesus was obedient in how he prayed, he was obedient in his focus on eternity, and he was also obedient in relationship. It says, uh, like we've read, in the days of his flesh Jesus offered up prayers, supplications, to him was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. And then in verse 8 it says, although he was a son, although he was a son... And for a moment, we just get a little glimpse into the relationship between Jesus and the Father. Jesus was a son. Like all, many of us here would be sons and daughters, Jesus had a relationship with his Father. And actually, that's a primary description of our relationship. If you follow Jesus between you and God's, we are his children. We are a son, we are a daughter of the living God. And so it says, although he was a son, he learned obedience. So, which is a strange phrase. Let's think about that for a minute. He learned obedience. Does that mean at some point Jesus was disobedient and then learned how to be obedient? Does it mean that? Or does it mean actually uh, that he, he didn't understand like, what obedience was? I don't know what it means. Oh, now I'm learning what it means. Okay, I understand. Well, I don't think it was either of those things. I think actually he learned what it was... To be like me and you. What it was to have flesh. What it was to have all of the competing desires that come at us when we live in creation. All of the different things that come at us. And we are pulled in all sorts of different directions in life. Uh, we may all want to be good. We all may want to say, yes, I'm going to be good. I'm going to do the right thing. But lots of things come at us and tempt us. Tempt us to live for ourselves, to live very selfishly. Uh, and Jesus experienced all of those things. And we read Jesus was tempted. Tempted by the devil. We read how he went out into the desert, how the Holy Spirit called him into the desert, fasted for 40 days, and then he was tempted. And he was tempted to give up on God's, to worship the world, to live for himself. But he was obedient. He learns in that time what it was to face temptation and to stick with God's. And he did that, why? Because he was a son. Which is very 
important. I don't know if you've ever had a boss in, in working life that you just you didn't like very much. I don't know if you've, maybe it's just me that's experienced that. You've had a boss, you thought, you know what, I don't like you. Don't know why, I just don't like you. You're annoying, I don't like you. Uh, and so I had one of these bosses, and uh, when he told me to do stuff, which is the right of a boss, okay, it's the boss's job to tell people who aren't the boss to do stuff, and then it's their job just to do it, right? That, that's how things work. But when he told me to do stuff, I hated it. I hate, why are you telling me to do stuff? I know it's your job, but I don't want to do the things that you want me to do. And it's because we didn't have a good relationship, actually, because it was a bit broken. But actually, he had to uh, lean into it to tell me what to do. Uh, and then, because there's bad relationship, it means my obedience to him. And I was obedient to him. You know, I may have internally not liked him very much, but I did as I was told. But my obedience came actually from fear. Fear of what? Well, getting sacked. That was a fear. Uh, so I decided, actually, I'm just going to do what I'm told. But that obedience doesn't build up and grow actually into something good, doesn't grow into a relationship. Actually, it just breeds kind of bitterness and resentment eventually, doesn't it? But Jesus, he knew he had a father. That was the relationship. And good fathers love their children, do anything for their children, want to bring up good kids and have good relationship with them. So a good father knows that he can't scare his children into obedience. Can't put fear in them to them. It might work in the short term. You might get things done that you want done. But in the long term, you won't have relationship with them. You also can't ignore your children into obedience. Just kind of give them the silent treatment. Go off in a half until your kids do what they, t- what they are told. Again, they might do it in the short term. But actually in the long term, that doesn't produce relationship and love. You also can't threaten them into obedience. If you don't do this, this is going to happen to you. And again, it might work in the short term, uh, but actually it doesn't produce long kind of life-giving obedience. And you can't beat them into obedience, or physically force obedience. Again, short-term results maybe, but in the long term, what will you get? No relationship. In Romans, uh, a guy called the Apostle Paul, he, he wrote, he said, look, we're all who are led by the Spirit of God are, are sons of God. Okay, so that makes us a, a bit like Jesus. For we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. So we don't have a relationship based on fear, on being scared of God. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So Jesus was obedient and that came in a relationship between him and God. And that's the same for us. Obedience comes from relationship. When I was a kid, uh, my dad would talk to me about money. He talked about, we just talked about it. It was a very open subject uh, with us. And uh, that was before I really had very much money. All the money I had was the pocket money he gave me. And so we talked about money. And he talked and explained to me budgets uh, and explained how they work and helped me to put together a little budget based on pocket money so I could save up to get the best pair of Reebok trainers I could possibly imagine. But that's what I did. And then one day he came to me and said, look, Tim, you are living beyond your means, which basically means I wanted to spend a lot of his money and and we'd got through all of mine, so I was moving on to his money. He said, if you want to spend more on clothes and whatever it is you youngsters buy, then you need to get a job. Now, because we'd had long 
conversations and we talked openly about money, it was very easy for me to hear that. I was like, oh, fair enough. So I got a paper round. And, and so it brings uh, obedience there, but it came in relationship. So when he could say to me, look, don't waste your money. You've got to save your money. You've got to be generous with your money. All of that had come in relationships, so it was quite easy for me to follow that. It didn't come from on high. It wasn't bought with fear and anger. It wasn't bought from someone I didn't know and so would ignore. It came from my dad, who I knew very well. It was life bringing obedience. And when we were obedient to our Father in heaven... It happens in relationship, so it brings life. And finally, having been obedient in prayer, Jesus was obedient in his focus on a God who can raise people from the dead, and obedience in relationship with his Father, there was obedience in suffering. And it says, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now the fascinating thing about the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is there, and I find it fascinating every time I read it, is that Jesus asks God for a plan B. Really, look, if there's another way we can do this, that would be brilliant. Uh, Because he could see the pain and the humiliation that was coming. It's a, a really very, very human moment from Jesus. Please. And it wasn't just one thing he said once and then he pulled himself together. He asked it three times. Look, if there's any way... If this cup could pass from me, if there's another way we can do this. Jesus was battling in what must have been just such a bleak moment. So we must remember that about Jesus. Actually, he knew extreme difficulty. So when we think about things that are happening in our own lives, things that have happened, things that we're coming into, maybe whatever's going on in life, and you think, what does, you know, I'm praying to God, but I'm not getting much back. What does that mean? How's that? I don't understand why this is happening. Actually, just remember, Jesus knew that extreme difficulty as well. But in those moments... Those three times he asked, look, is there a plan B? Every time he says, look, but not as, as I will, but your will be done. A very important prayer. He made himself obedient. He said, I won't get my own way. That's what will happen. I will be satisfied with what you want, not what I want. And that's true obedience there. That's when we really learn. When we say, look... God, what you want to happen is the most important thing, not what I want to happen. I am not going to get my own way. And it's an easy thing to say. It's actually quite easy to stand up and say it and preach it, and it's easy for you to listen to. But actually, when you have to do it, that's quite difficult, isn't it? Just saying, actually, my own way, the things I want to happen, I'll put them down. I will only go after what you want. And uh, my most difficult moments in faith have been when it's very clear I won't get my own way. So uh, just, uh, well, at the moment we are trying to sell and buy a house and it's very boring and it's taking forever. Uh, and uh, it's cost much more than we thought and it's been a really a very frustrating and a right pain. And back in kind of November, December time, I was properly like, oh, proper grump. Okay, like, you know, one of those grumps that you just kind of carry with you everywhere. And I have a few of those, but this was a big one, okay? So I was in a proper uh, grump about it and was getting quite down. And basically I was getting quite down because I wasn't getting my own way, okay? I just wasn't going in the way that I wanted it to go. And my way, I thought, actually was quite good for everyone. But, you know, it wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. So I was getting quite down about it. And uh, I went to Krakow 
which is in Poland back in yeah November December time and uh, uh, Andre will be here in a few weeks he kind of sent me there uh, to go and preach and hang out with the guys there and it's led by a pastor called Pastor Ivan who I'd love to bring here to preach um, but he doesn't speak any English so we'd need to get a Russian interpreter but he is an absolute dude I mean he's becoming one of my heroes in life and I, I was aware that these guys had fled war and suffered difficulty so I wasn't mentioning my small issues with house buying because frankly it was embarrassing for all that they had been through so I just thought him, just keep a lid on your own kind of sense of entitlement just for a few days and so that's what I was doing uh, but he was talking about how, how you buy houses in the Ukraine and how difficult it was and he said look Tim what you do in the east of Ukraine is you save for decades to buy a house save for you know literally decades and then sometimes you have to build the thing as well and save for decades so he said that's what I did save my whole life and he was in his 50s and he says and I bought the house then two years later, war broke out, we had to flee, my house was taken by opposition forces, otherwise known as the Russians, uh, and we fled. And all I could take was my car, my family, and a bag full of documents. That's all I got. Nothing. And I was like, what happened to your house? He's like, it's gone. So I, I've never had my house stolen by the Russians. I don't know if anybody else has. So that was like, okay, this is a moment. And in that moment, God very quietly... Actually, you know, sometimes you can just feel like God's kind of smirking, giving you a little nudge. Yep, there you go. Listen to that, mate. So I did. Ivan actually had suffered, and suffered a bit for being a Christian, because uh, to be an evangelical Christian uh, in that part of the world is to be a spy for America. That's how you are viewed by um, the kind of invading forces. And so he knew, actually, I need to get out, otherwise I'm going to end up in jail. And actually, some of his friends, uh, other church leaders, other people that Andre knows as well, have been thrown into jail. Andre himself would say, actually, I, I, it's dangerous for me to go there now. So this is a proper thing. But he had suffered and was obedient. And actually, he learnt and lived that obedience. He suffered because of his faith, but lived for Jesus. So just to bring this all together, Jesus is our great example of obedience. His obedience actually took him to the cross and killed him. His obedience also resurrected him because he worshipped a God who brings people back from the dead. Actually, his obedience changes the entire universe because death no longer rules. And his obedience actually gives us the chance to be obedient. To actually put down our way of doing things, the things that we really want and hope for, and actually say, you know what, God's, I'll go after the things that you want and you hope for. And his obedience brings us back into relationship with the Father. His obedience means we can be sons and daughters. It gives us this great chance to live a life of obedience. So this morning, just to finish... Jesus calls you to follow him. In the Gospel of Mark, he talks, he says, Look, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. The kingdom of God is at hand. Follow. He calls us to follow uh, in his kind of a group of disciples, to live in friendship, to be in his family, to be in obedience to him. And you may be listening, thinking, Actually, you know what? I've never done that. I've never said, Actually, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to be obedient to you. Or you may be thinking, you know what, I have done that, but I'm kind of not doing it so much at the moment. 
Maybe you have stopped listening. Well, Jesus is calling you back.